All right. Well, welcome to another edition of Labor Relatedly. It's June 5th. This is Michael Vandervoort, and we're recording uh, this episode today to talk about three or four new things that have come up in the world of labor relations. John Hyman, my usual co-host, is on vacation. He's uh, He's been planning on taking this trip to Portugal for like three years, and he got delayed by COVID and a couple other things, so he couldn't make it. So he's not going to be here this week. But I'm delighted to be joined by my friend and uh, boss and a bunch of other things, uh, Phil Wilson from uh, Labor Relations Institute. Phil, welcome to Labor Relatedly. How are you doing today? I'm great, Michael. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, you know, we're stuck here in Oklahoma while John's out in Portugal, but I know I've I've never actually been to that part of the Europe to Portugal or Spain or any of that. It seems like it would be a great trip, but I, yeah, I, I don't know. What, I don't know what I don't know what we're missing outside of probably some good food and wine and you know John and and all that fun. But yeah, I have no idea. One of these days, hope to get there. So yeah, Oklahoma is yeah. not as uh, not as cool, I guess, as Europe, at least, especially at this time of year. There's a lot of stuff to do over there. But, <laughs> Well, it's definitely not cool. <laughs> yeah, I know we hit we're, we're hitting the nineties here today, right? I always go to the weather on these podcasts. So anyway, yeah. um, glad to have you join. Um, wasn't really planning on doing a show this week, but then uh, be, between a com couple of conversations where people were saying, "Hey, you should cover this on your podcast," and at least one uh, development of the week <laughs> from Miss Abruzzo, we figured we might as well try to cover a few things. So I'm going to start, I guess, with a story that's a couple weeks, actually a couple months old, I guess, and that is a weird situation involving Amazon. Well, not, not actually not Amazon directly, but yeah, right. directly, right? But I, I am may or may not involve Amazon. It may or may not. That's correct. So, uh, but it does involve the Teamsters, and it does involve a, a, a an Amazon subcontractor called Battle Tested Strategies or something like that. Anyway, so there, so there's this company that is a contractor for Amazon to deliver packages, and they had a bunch of drivers working in Palmdale, California. And in mid-April, uh, according to, I went, I went and looked at the timeline and from a few news articles over the weekend, and as best as I can piece together, at like April the 14th, Amazon notified this company, BTS, that they were going to suspend them as a contractor, basically end their delivery contract due to a, a variety of issues that Amazon raised, mostly with timing, time, timely deliveries or the lack thereof. And that they were going to have their, they would be doing their last work for Amazon towards the end of June. So they gave them like a 60 day notice, I guess, per their, their operating contract and uh, notified the company, or at least that's the story Amazon tells and, it, and the story that was reflected in the news. It, 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 this uh, particular location had apparently had some issues with their, their workforce and had some uh, concerns about safety and other things that had been raised by the workforce. Um, anyway, long story short, because I'm no expert on it, I didn't live there, and I only know what I read on the newspapers or the virtual uh, copies thereof, the, um, the workers decided to join the Teamsters, and so on April 14th, when they were notified, a couple days later, there was a, uh, an announcement that the workers at BTS had decided to uh, join the Teamsters, uh, about three days after that, there was a collective bargaining agreement apparently signed and ratified within one week, which is a like 
perhaps unprecedented short period of time for a collective bargaining agreement. <laughs> it's not unprecedented, but it's <laughs> very unlikely to have happened unless it was not the employee's idea to start this union and sign this contract. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, because we we quote numbers around here that say that the average first time collective bargaining agreement takes like 463 days or something to get one. And that's if you're trying to get one. So mm -hmm. it, it was done very quickly. And then the Teamsters announced that they were uh, they wanted Amazon to recognize the union and that, that that Amazon and BTS should begin to negotiate jointly. And Amazon said, um, yeah, no, thanks, more or less. Mm -hmm. And then the What's Teamsters to negotiate? You already entered a contract. You've got a contract. You got mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and basically a joint create a joint employer situation yeah. and have yeah. Amazon negotiate further and make better improvements seemed to be what they were talking about. Amazon said, yeah, no, thanks. We're not interested in doing that. And the Teamsters. Since then, these aren't even our employees. And yeah, exactly. And then the Teamsters filed a, an unfair labor practice charge at the NLRB and demanded that Amazon recognize their, their obligations to bargain and so on. And so now we're, we're, we're in a situation where there's, uh, apparently a fake contract with a mm -hmm. maybe not a fake union, but you know, is it, it, it things came together very quickly. Seems as if the owner may have like given a what what you might call a sweetheart contract or something in an effort to protect protect his own interests. And, mm -hmm. and basically, it's now a, a big nuisance case at the very best for Amazon, and and has some really weird potential repercussions. So I guess from a legal perspective, like is this even something that I, mean, I don't know what the odds are and I'm not really asking you to like set odds or you know kind of weigh it out but like where where does where does this go from here <laughs> well in the real world this should just be dismissed as a uh, you know they're not irrespective of whether or not they could have been found to be joint employer like at some point this this is clearly a situation, you know, th th this was not a situation where Amazon, you know, you canceled this contract because there was some organizing activity going on and they were trying to like stop the union, which, which is exactly what the Teamsters are going to claim. And I'm sure that the, that, you know, that that's going to be the whole, the whole argument. I don't have any inside scoop on this, but like if there had been an existing organizing effort or organizing campaign Kind of the way that this went down, I don't think is how it would have gone down, right? Mm. Like they would be filing ULP charges. They would be do, you know, about about all of this prior organizing activity. But instead, what happened is the company like enters into an agreement with the Teamsters three days after they you know these employees begin to organize, which is post an, a, an announcement that the the contract's being canceled. So that's all super fishy. Um, and so, yeah, in the real world, what would happen is the general counsel would look at this and go, yeah, the, you know, this is in retaliation. You guys are retaliating because your contract got canceled um, and, and you're trying to get us in the middle of your, your thing and that we're not. That's what should happen. Um, but we're, we don't live in the real world right now. Right. <laughs> we're, you know, we're in a bruzo land where um, I, like... I would be, you know, I, the, first of all, this is an issue that that the general counsel um, 
and the board for that matter, like want, you know, they, they, they want to push the law around joint employers. So this would be a perfect vehicle for doing that. Uh, and, and it's a big name. So like they, you know, they want to, and, and then, and then they also, I think are, are, are probably, probably what they're thinking, what the teamsters are thinking too, is we can sort of bootstrap this onto all of these other allegations of, you know, of, of bad faith and unfair labor practices that Amazon has done nationally. And then this kind of gets like looped into all that. Um, so I would say, I mean, you know, odds are pretty good that the general counsel will issue complaint. There'll be a hearing on it. They'll make the arguments. They'll have to prove that there was no other prior notice of organizing activity, that this wasn't, they didn't get the, con they didn't cancel the contract, you know, as a, as a way to try to avoid, you know, an obligation to bargain with the union. And, um, you know, and then we'll, you know, we'll see, we'll see where we end up. They, you know, like if they, if they're looking for a vehicle to push joint employer, I, you know, if I was, if I was them, I would not pick Amazon as my, you know, as my target because right. you know, Amazon has like unlimited resources, you know, basically, and the best lawyers, you know, will be working on the case. And, um, and these, this is, this is going to be, we'll talk about Glacier Northwest in a minute, but like, this is one of these, you know, be careful what you wish for. You know, you're gonna you're gonna go try to extend joint employer law with a on a case with just terrible facts, mm -hmm. um, and you you might be very unhappy with the the court decision that you that you end up with, and it also you know creates a major credibility problem for the general counsel and the board. Like if they if they you know if they push these these theories are already out there, and if you push them in situations where you don't even have the facts on your side. Um, it's just leading with your chin. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess I, I can see why the teams. I mean, the teamsters have formed like a an organizing division to try to mm. organize Amazon, and you know, they're and um, Sean O'Brien has, you know, is definitely staking out a very militant kind of position. Uh, that you know, many, many, many different employers right now mm -hmm. kind of you know the wrath of O'Brien or whatever. So I mean, I get that, and, and this let them sort of fly the flag for a second that said you know this is the first Teamster unit to work. But but it's like it, it's all built like it feels like it's built on a house of cards kind yeah. of you know, yeah. and 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 to make this big bold claim with with what to your point seem to be really weak facts behind it doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense to mm. me. I, I mean, it's certainly a new, I mean, you know, it's a nuisance for, for, I mean, for Amazon to have to deal with, it's going to cause them, you know, and it's, I guess if you follow the old corporate campaign, death of a thousand cuts theory here, maybe that's part of the logic on the Teamster side and it gets them some press and I don't know, but it, it just, you, you, I would think you would want a better case. <laughs> it, yeah. It, I mean, you know, the, the death of a thousand cuts, you know, can work both ways, right? If you're like, right. if you're getting, you know, if, if you're filing a bunch of garbage, um, you know, and then, and then, and then claiming like, oh, this is like the first Teamsters, you know, the, the, the Teamsters have organized Amazon. That is like not what happened here. Um, and so, you know, hope, hopefully, you know, like if we are in the real world, like this case gets bounced and now the Teamsters like first big victory is, you know, is a failure. Um, or, you know, even if they somehow like, you know, get, well, I mean, you know, they, they might win at the region and win at the board even, but eventually this is going to get, you know, you're, you're, you're going to get, 
you know, it's going to get bounced. I mean, at some point along the line, uh, I mean, look, if there's some facts that we don't know about, which is, is it, entirely you know, possible, like, yep. all of this, all of this is subject to the, the, you know, subject to, there was no prior organizing activity going on. If there was prior organizing activity going on, then that's, that's a different story and how strong the proof is of that and Amazon's knowledge of it. Um, that would change, that would definitely change my opinion about this, but like, as far as anything that I've read or, uh, you know, is publicly out there, um, this, this just smells bad. Yeah. So, so, um, so, so the, it, I think that, so one, one, someone that we mutually know that we won't name here, it was started me to think, started, made me think about talking about this on the show yeah. today. And the, and the, their question kind of was, so I guess it's just, a, it's straight up joint employer, but is like, is there any scenario, maybe what you just said, if the facts, if there are unknown facts or facts get revealed, this is a joint employer, potential joint employer situation, mm-hmm. but it's, it's so, it's so rare for the board, forget, you know, even with the joint employer thing, it's so rare for the board to order a business that's being closed. And this one might be a little sketchy since they're not closed officially yet. To, mm-hmm. to remain open, right? That's a really difficult kind of thing for them to order, although it's not unprecedented. But it and, like, a, and of the, course they're they're trying to do more of that, right? Yeah, that's and, true. That's true. Yeah. And and like this isn't a situation where like this business is going out of like this particular contractor no longer has the contract, but some other right. vendor will have that contract. And the and the so so it's you know, it's reasonable to assume that the, the general counsel would, one argument would be, you can't cancel the contract. Like you have to, Yeah, I think we'll see, like, we'll see how serious they are probably soon because that contract is going to end like this month, right? Yeah. 19 days. Yeah. So, you know, if, if the general counsel is really serious about this, they go to federal court and try to stop the contract you know they would try to get an injunction to stop the contract from from ending um and then uh you know then then you know see if you can convince a federal judge that there's a likelihood to proceed on the merits that this is a joint employer situation um you know that uh, if they don't do that then i think it's kind of well then, what you know? If you you know, what? Why then would you now say that you have to reinstate the contract? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's un, it's just it's unusual, and I guess, but I guess that's the theory that would empower it in it. And it, since they're still in operation, it maybe not as maybe is maybe not quite as extreme as ordering a business that closed for other reasons to reopen yeah. or all that kind of stuff. Anyway, right. all right. So that was one of the four things we wanted to touch on. So I think that that we're good there. The big decision, as we said, from a bruisal land or the big thing that came out, uh, well, let's go there first and then we'll go to Glazier. Um, So the big thing from a bruisal land this week was yet another theory that says that um, longstanding legal agreements between employers and individual employees are not valid. And this time it's uh, uh, Mm non-competes with a a memo issued that basically says all non-competes in the history of mankind, I mean, exaggerating perhaps slightly, but not much, uh, are now obsolete because they could infringe on people's right to engage in protected concerted activity in certain circumstances, which they did earlier this year with non-disclosure. Non-disclosure, non-disparagement, right. 
Yeah, and this and and of course this is a memo, not case law at this point. So it's still a theory, but it it's very consistent with what happened before, and mm. it's very clear that this is where she wants to go. So, talk to us about the repercussions of what this leads into, and what kind of messages creates. Like this one makes way more sense than the non-disclosure, non-disparagement to me. Like these okay. these agreements. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know the the one. You know, the one nuance I would add to the, you know, this covers all non-competes, which which is true, but it's only all non-competes for non-managerial, you know, people that are subject to the act, right? So it's it's not, you know, 211 supervisors or, or like top management that are not covered by this. So she talks about that in the memo. Um, the, uh, you know, so, so we're talking about non-compete provisions from like, production level employees, which those, those have not been favored. I mean, you know, courts don't like enforcing, first of all, courts don't like enforcing non-competes in the best of situations. Um, and, and then they especially don't like enforcing a non-compete that is, um, you know, for, for someone who, who is, you know, not like a business owner or like, you, you know, not a high level executive, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not, they're just not favored. So now, you know, whether making someone sign one is, you know, infringes on their, their section seven rights, I think is, that's that same sort of stretch that she made on the, um, on the non-disparagement stuff. But these aren't really favored agreements. Uh, To be honest, if you're an employer, you know, that's making your, you know, first level production employees, you know, agree to non-competes, um, you're, you're, you, you probably are going to, you know, get what you deserve here. Um, yeah, like, honestly, what do you, what do you need a non-compete for, for your, you know, a tech or, a you know, production worker or like someone working in a restaurant or. A I, I know. And I was going to, I was going to say that I've seen them where like that, you know, like I don't know if it was literally Wendy's, but someone who's like a burger flipper at Wendy's had a non-compete agreement. And you're saying really an $11 an hour or that's, maybe even less person can't walk down the street and do the same job at McDonald's. That's, 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 that's business going overboard on their, on their ability to, to no. administer these things. So yeah, so this one isn't perhaps quite as, uh, it, you know, it, it. I don't want to say it's stupid. It's not stupid. It, it's it's it, it's there. There's more reason, I think, to your point. I think there's mm-hmm. more reason, especially in the in the that where these could be viewed as being, you know, over overreach by employers. Yeah, and, and these, yeah, these are. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but like, this, no, yeah, yeah, this is definitely this is definitely overreach by employer number one. If you have this agreement in place, you know. And and it's and it's different than the it's different than the non-disclosure, non-disparagement, right? Because those are negotiated at the time that the event occurs. This isn't like a uh, you know, you you sign your your documents on day one at work and like one right. of the pieces of paper is non-compete. Um that like that also seems much more onerous than the non-disparagement, where like it's a settlement that's negotiated. I'm gonna like no longer work here, but I agree to, you know, if you pay me something extra, like I won't talk about working here. Um, that, those seem like two very different things. It, it still seems though that, I don't know, I, 
maybe that, that I'm, I'm going to leave that off to the side. It's not even really pertinent. It, th this is just one of those things where it's another, it's another very broad reach by the general counsel on issues that may or may not be driving some of the base problems of mm. labor relations stuff, you know? And so the question is, do we really need, like, A, do we need them as businesses? No, the answer is probably no in some cases, mm. certainly with managers, key personnel, strategy people on the, you know, on your, but not, not for most positions that are hourly. But then the same thing is, do we need this type of correction in the business community for the employee side from the NLRB either? Because it feels like, it still feels like an NLRB overreach when they yeah, you know, I mean, kind of declare everything that, you know, mm -hmm. you know, kind of null and void that that's the part that bugs yeah. me, I think. Yeah. I don't know. We're, it's we're, sort it's, of, it, it smacks of, they're just like walking their way through. They're in the general counsel's office, walking their way through an employee handbook and, yeah. you know, Oh, we'll do a memo on non-compete today. And uh, yeah, I mean, like if you want to moderate some of this activity, I think you could do that without going quite as far as she's trying to go. And yeah. I guess maybe that's the criticism that, and it's not even a criticism. It's just more like I'm a gut reaction. And it's like, man, they took this really far for what it seems to dictate. So yeah. the big, the big case, it, it, and it's big in a lot of ways. And, and, but I was thinking about it over the weekend. It, it is, is it really big depending on how unions manage the situation? Right. And then I guess there's the wild card of, you never know what's going to happen on a picket line. So the, so the big decision was a Supreme court decision or a Supreme court case where they rendered an eight to one decision in a case called Glacier Northwest. And the really quick story on that is it was a concrete company where the, where the drivers of concrete trucks went on strike. Um, they reported for work the, uh, whatever day they went on strike a while ago, because this is this happened uh, uh, you know, a couple of years ago or longer. Uh, they reported to work. They had a, con a legit con uh, contract dispute going on. They reported to work. When you when you set up concrete, you mix it and put it into a truck. It has a limited shelf life. It's going to expire at some point. You can't just let it sit out there forever. So these drivers showed up, got in their their uh, concrete mixing trucks to go make their deliveries, and then decided, you know, an hour into the shift or whatever, before they had left their their uh, port or whatever you call it, their their staging area. They decided, oh, we're going on strike. So they walked off and basically let the, left the trucks idling and running with the concrete. You know, I think some trucks that. had also left the yard. Some so trucks they, had left the yard, and yeah. they may have abandoned them at other locations. Right. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that specific. I think fact. that's one of the facts. I I read it. But. Okay, so so it was so what they did essentially is walked off the job by going on strike. But they they left this uh, valuable these valuable pieces of equipment and a massive amount of product basically to be ruined and, yes, like and intentionally and intentionally. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it certainly got the attention of the company glacier because they wound up fighting it all the way to the Supreme court. So and they, had the, to, uh, they had to go build a giant bunker and then dump, like, I forget how many, but like 13, you know, dump trucks full of cement into this giant bunker that basically now is just like a giant concrete. <laughs> just a, 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 like, yeah, because they couldn't leave it in the trucks. And, right, and leave it, it in the truck, the truck is destroyed. And, and if so, you get it out of the truck, but then you're like, and you can't just dump a pile of of, of liquid concrete like in the middle of 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 the of the street either, right? Because right. it's got, I mean, it sets up and it, you know, and then it has like some hazardous materials in there. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah there were all kinds of problems with this. So the so the behavior of the the employees, the drivers, set up 
the set up a situation where this company faced a lot of liability, a lot of exposure, potential risk. And the, and the case essentially revolved around uh, whether or not unions could be held liable for the actions of their employees during a strike, right? So let, 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 let's talk about that, the implications of that and how it might affect things going forward in terms well, of- and, and there's like, so this case will probably return to the Supreme Court. And Justice Alito actually- Right, you, you a couple of footnotes, right? Yeah. I was going to ask he, you about those later. He but dropped a footnote in his opinion that is sort of like, I can't wait to see this again. Um, and if you guys keep doing what you're, if you got, if you guys keep litigating the way that you are, like this is rapidly coming back to us. That's, I mean, he says that in the footnote. Mm -hmm. um, so, so what he's talking about is, uh, you know, in addition to the litigation around you intentionally attempted to destroy a bunch of our equipment and timed everything to have the maximum potential to do that. And it was kind of a miracle that Glacier was able to save that those trucks and to safely in an environmentally sound way, like get the material out of those trucks. Um, and it was kind of a superhuman effort to do it. All right. The Teamsters are like, this could have been 50 times worse for the Teamsters than, than it actually was because the company like miraculously was able to, you know, fix what, what the Teamsters tried to screw up. But in addition to that, the general counsel also issued complaint on a separate ruling that filing the lawsuit itself was, it was its own unfair labor practice. So in other <laughs> words, Glacier by merely arguing that the Teamsters should have to pay damages for the tort that they committed against Glacier, committed a new unfair labor practice by filing that lawsuit. Okay, so that's also part of this litigation. And, and what Alito is talking about is, okay, when this goes back, if you are going to continue to pursue the argument, so the, these folks made it all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States and eight out of nine justices agree, that's more than like dentists for patients that chew gum, like eight out of nine justices agree that uh, this behavior was so egregious that Glacier should have a shot at state court tort damages against them, all right? But what Alito is saying is if you continue to say that like them filing that lawsuit that they've just like they're you know they've just won overwhelmingly won that the fact that they tried to uh, you know tried to defend their rights is an unfair labor practice is that's the argument that you're going to make general counsel I cannot wait to have a crack at that case that's what mm -hmm. Alito is saying and mm -hmm. you know they're going to create I mean this is one of those like, this is a bad facts make bad law except for, I mean, this is the correct decision, but as far as the Teamsters are concerned, this is a bad facts make bad law. And yeah. they continue to press this and Glacier is going to, right? Glacier has already, they've already done it once. Like they'll, they'll for sure keep, keep going. Yep. Um, if they continue to pursue that, they're, they're, you know, the, the general counsel's ability to, um, you know, keep cases out of federal court is going to, just dwindle dramatically. Like these justices, I think, are like looking forward to the time to be able to tell, yeah, you cannot limit companies' access to the court system. And 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 um, 
Justice Thomas wrote like a, I think it was like a one page decision that's like, well, this is the correct decision under Garmin preemption, but I don't, I'm not really sure why we even have Garmin preemption in the first place. Like that's, that's kind of what I think the, the conservative members of the Supreme Court want to have a crack at, you know, like why, the, why, are we, the, why are we deferring to this agency in the first place? Right. And that's what I was going to say. A Garmin exception is that, that they defer to the agency at, to the, in this case, the NLRB as being the expert on their own policies. Right. Mm -hmm. And that they, the court gives like extra deference to their, to their recommendations based on their subject matter knowledge or right. something along those lines. And, and there's lots and lots of cases where, and, and the, like the reason Garmin preemption even, even exists and, and Justice Brown did a, like, has a, has a really, I, I think, you know, well, well, you know, explained uh, opinion about all this, but the reason Garmin pre preemption even exists in this particular case is because, you know, like it's, it's common that you'll get into a dispute with a union, you know, during contract negotiations or during, or it, you'll have like an arbitration case that is kind of working its way through the process. One of the things Garmin preemption does is it says, okay, look, we're going to, we're not saying that the court doesn't have jurisdiction over this, but we're going to pause and let the labor process kind of work its way out because a lot of times the dispute then gets resolved and goes away. So we're gonna we're gonna just put everything on pause here while while we let labor law work work its way. Um, and but there was you know reading it's not even between the lines like reading the text uh, you know there there's some skepticism as to whether or not we should even defer to this agency. And I mm -hmm. and, and I think the more crazy stuff that you know, that, that comes out of the board and the, the general counsel's office, I think, you know, you're going to end up in federal courts, the appeals courts and the Supreme Court, where they're just like, why are we deferring to these people? Yeah, they're, they're, the, the court systems are, are almost poised to like push back on this stuff because mm -hmm. they view it as, we used egregious earlier in the other other discussion, this, they, they view that some of the, some of this encroachment on management's rights and stuff, um, as egregious and yeah, and, yeah extend extension. So yeah, so it's 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 interesting. Something definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, any other thoughts? Or you hit both uh, footnotes. I was going to ask you about the Thomas one if you didn't cover it, but you already hit that. So I kind of covered everything. That anything else there that we should um, wrap up? I mean, with? I think the, you know those are the high points. Be careful what you wish for. Like this this one. I mean, the, and I, I, I mean, I, I don't I don't really see a world where you know the Teamsters decide to stand down i mean you know yeah because they're not they're not wired that way right now either with I mean, their leadership no. right it, unless they just real look at it and realize like it's going to cost us a lot of money that would be the one thing that might i don't but, think i mean o'brien's o'brien's quote was i forget what he what, what he called the supreme court like whack jobs or something whack like, jobs or, or political hacks or political hacks like that. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah that's his uh you know that's his take he he just prefers the you know he, he prefers the hacks to be on his side, but anyway. <laughs> that's that's the guy that ran the local in Boston at one time that was uh, extorting money from the, the non-union uh, TV show, the Top Chef or something like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if that was exactly under O'Brien's watch, but yeah, they're uh, it's interesting. So we, we're, we're definitely, uh, our the tensions in our uh, political system are running into the labor relations space for sure. Yeah, for sure. So then, uh, so then our, our curious friend who shall remain unnamed brought up this last topic, which is pretty, pretty interesting, but I think it, I, I think I understand it, but, but he, he didn't per se. So his, he wanted to ask me to ask you a question about the, this notion of Starbucks 
and the fact that they they are paying their non-union baristas um, more more money. They've given raises and some benefit mm -hmm. to their non-union baristas, um, while at the same time withholding those from the unionized stores because they have to bargain in good faith. Yeah. Um, and and so that you know and and even though the union uh, Starbucks workers union has said, well, we'll we agree, we'll accept the, that money. Um, Starbucks is saying, no, 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 we got to negotiate the whole thing. Now, as far as I understand it, that's that's perfectly legal. But is there is there something more behind that, or is there a other theory that? Um, um, yeah, uh, and to be fair, I think the our friend who asked this question was actually wanting John's opinion about this because that's was he know, okay. That's who's normally in this chair, but anyway. Yeah, well, so <laughs> what does John know about this anyway? <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah. Uh, it's trickier. Uh, it's a little trickier than what the way you just described it. So, okay. Um, yes. Like, so, so in general, you know, the way, the way the rules are is that like, if, there, if you've got a bargaining obligation, you can't unilaterally change things during the course of those negotiations. Um, unless there is an agreement between the company and the union to make those changes. And then, um, but the non-represented locations, you, know, you you don't have a bargaining obligation, and so you can run those however you want to, including you can make unilateral you know improvements in those locations. So, um, and the you know like the the labor law advice that you would give to a client in a situation like Starbucks, for example, where they want to do something in the non-represented locations and they're bargaining in the represented locations would be sounds to me like the advice that Starbucks was given, right? Which is mm -hmm. that look, you you're bargaining. You've got this bargaining obligation. Um, you can do whatever you want in the non-union locations, but but in the in these locations, um, we yeah, I, like I wouldn't advise you to just agree to give them whatever you're going to do over here because you don't know what else is going to be in your contract. And right. so you should negotiate that as the whole package, and maybe it'll be the same, maybe it'll be different. Um, you know, but but we don't really know until we actually negotiate the agreement. Um, and, and I think that's, I mean, I think that's good advice. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I do think though, like there, you know, the argument that the general counsel is making, and I think this is maybe a little, um, I, I mean, I think, I think there's substance to this one. I'll just say, mm -hmm. you know, if the reasoning behind this unilateral change that you're making is to make the bargaining more challenging or difficult or is to or is to punish the represented groups like if, if the reason that you're doing it is to punish the people that organize like that's an unfair labor practice right um, so you know now you need to be able to you need to be able to prove that that you know but but like let's just say if there had been an announcement like we're not giving this to the unionized locations because we are mad that you organized like mm -hmm. that's our labor practice um now that's not what happened um but you know if if there was some like internal you know memo or you know you know a, a, like, like the boeing remember the boeing south carolina mm -hmm. case so so you know if you have like a powerpoint deck where where you you've expressed like this is you know this is one way to you know punish the stores that chose to unionize like that would that would be a problem mm. uh, so uh there's no evidence that anything like that 
has happened. Uh, you know, Starbucks, I think, first of all, look, they're like their history has been to try to lead the field as far as pay and benefits and working conditions for their employees and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, so this move by them is not unusual. They are in this like weird situation where they have these, you know, stores that have unionized and they're in the middle of bargaining. And look, you know, the union could probably have this whole package if they would just show up and negotiate a damn contract. Right. Right. So, yeah. So like yeah. they're, you know, the you know, there the, there's there's a reason why, you know, there nothing is being adopted in the unionized stores because, you know, most of those locations aren't even meeting. And that's not because Starbucks doesn't want to meet, but right. it's because is now saying, oh, we want to we want to have a contract that covers everybody. We don't want to negotiate store by store, even though we fought like crazy to make sure that these are single stores. And before that, they were arguing for hybrid negotiations. I, yeah. I will say that, at, in a, you know, in a past life as a practitioner, I worked in a, in a multi-unit where we had, you know, we had some completely union free locations. We had mm -hmm. some mixed double breasted, you know sometimes two different unions in the same building and sometimes some non-union, some unionized. And as a company, when we were negotiating labor agreements, renewals, we, we had a, we had, I mean, it just was the, it was just the way it was set up. We had a more rich non-union plan across mm -hmm. the board because there was profit sharing and benefits. And it was, you know, it was, there were, there were a couple of acquisitions that had been made. So there was a lot of mingling of different mm -hmm. systems, but we, but like we, like I had a place in Michigan that had a, the central states Teamsters pension plan and they had a central, not a central states, but they had a team, uh, Teamsters, um, Teamsters benefits plan, you know, and they wanted to keep those and they were hundred percent contribution, you know, company mm -hmm. paid contributions. Right. right? Yeah. And, and then they said, but we want that profit sharing that you, you know, that you're giving to your folks. And we were like, yeah, sure. Oh. You know, but if, but if we give you profit, we didn't say, yeah, sure. But what we said is no, unless we can get rid yeah. of these other points, you know, right. and, and, and there was a quid pro quo and they were like, oh, well, that's not fair. And yada, yada. And it would, you know, so to, to me, I mean, this isn't exactly a mirror image situation, but I get the logic of it, right? You can't right. just convey everything that you give to one group because what the other group is looking for, like, like the, the unionized locations at Starbucks, they want all sorts of other work rules that don't exist in those non-union locations. So they right. want increased control and, and it's a quid pro quo on the whole package, as opposed to just, you know, those facets that they want to cherry pick that would be good for them. And it doesn't, yeah. that that's another situation of that's not the way it works. Right. And it's, part of it's very common. It's like, it's very common that companies as a, you know, as a bargaining strategy, you know, are going to, um, you know, like you don't want to create a situation where there's like, so, you, know, you know, like the, the the wages and hours and working conditions in the represented locations are like so much better than the non-union locations. You know, it, cre it, you know, it creates an incentive for people to seek out representation. Yeah. And so strategically, it's not like, you know, that like, and, and that like the way that those imbalances happen you know, again, it happens the, the way you negotiate it. And there's a lot, I mean, look, there are, there are many companies that they don't have like the same kind of, um, uh, well, I mean, you know, it, it, there's all kinds of reasons you agree to stuff during, during contracts, mm -hmm. but, um, but, in, but, but in general, you know, it's, it's, it's a better situation to either have like parity um, or ideally, 
you know, the 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 union is asking for things that they, you know, they might be a little bit better than at the non-union place, but then there's other stuff that the non-union folks have that's better than what's in the union place. And, the, and those are all decisions and choices that are made. You know, look, they've chosen to be represented. The union representative is going to go in and bargain bargain that stuff. They're going to bargain the stuff that they want to. Yep. So the, the union itself has its own, you know, things that it wants. Some of those things cost companies money. And yep. you start looking at dues, you start looking at dues yeah. checkoffs, grievance mm -hmm. procedures, arbitration, the, the administrative. I mean, you add all that up. There's a cost yep. to it. What and even if expensive. It, and it doesn't yeah. go into the employee's pocket, but it's it's a, it got it's got to be a benefit for them because mm -hmm. they want it in the contract, right? So that right. that was always our logic. So so the sorry, we're we're kind yeah. of running up on time. Yeah, no problem. So the so our curious friend, his his final question. And I don't love this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Mm. Is it okay to have an explicitly stated union avoidance strategy that you're going to pay non-union employers employees a higher wage? I don't. I don't. That doesn't seem right to me. I don't think it is okay. Yeah. But okay. if you have a if you have a strategy based on negotiation, market rates, et cetera, where it turns out that way, that isn't a game breaker either. So yeah, can you kind of? Talk about yeah, that from a legal I mean, perspective. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's. I don't think that's okay. Um, I mean, again, it comes down to if 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 your goal is to discourage Section Seven activity, or or worse, to like punish somebody for Section Seven activity, um, like that's illegal. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you now you can have as a strategy that like we're you know we're gonna have this you know. This strategy, we want to be, we want to be market leaders. We want to be best place to work. We want, you know, th there's all kinds of things that you can do in these non-represented facilities. Um, that the 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 result of those activities is that those places they might have better benefits. They might just the example that you gave is a good one, right? If mm -hmm. people are in the Teamsters pension plan that's tanking and is going to pay them pennies on the dollar. And you have like a really good profit sharing plan that is going to pay out at the at the end of the rainbow. You know, some people might prefer to get out of the Teamsters plan and into that other profit sharing plan. But you would be, I mean, you know, you would not agree to do both. It's like no, right. we like we have profit sharing. You can either choose to be in this one or you can choose to be in this other. But like we don't. The answer isn't we give you two, um, and like that, that's fine. So I would not, but I would not have it like as a stated, this is our, you know, this is our policy or our strategy to, you know, avoid unions or to, um, you know, make sure people choose to, you know, to not seek out a union by doing all these positive things. Um, so anyway, that's, yeah. that's my take on that. Yeah, and and I, I I tend to agree with that as well. So mm -hmm. I, and, and that 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 wraps us up. So that was a fast forty five minute discussion, and yeah. uh, I'm going to go ahead. Thanks for thanks for covering for John. I hope he uh, hope he has a great time, and I'm sure that we'll get an update at some point via via social media when he returns to the to the U.S. Uh, in a week or so. But in yeah. the meantime. Thanks for pinch hitting, and I'll. Well, and I think you have, and 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 kudos to you for letting John have a vacation. I saw his post about, you know, the importance of like taking time off and, uh, you know, really spending time with your family and and really, you know, and companies need to 
you know, always remember like that time is really important. And to, you know, when someone's on vacation, like they actually go on vacation. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, and my, my wife would, you know, probably mention that I'm, you know, pretty bad about stepping in and doing a little work on a vacation, but, um, but that's cool. And, um, you know, I hope John's having an awesome time in Portugal and I can't wait to hear about it. Yeah, me too. And, and thanks for pitching pitching in and pinch hitting for yeah. for him this week we'll uh i'll post the show and send you the link here in a little bit so thanks okay. a lot Phil. have Anytime. a great day bye yeah. see ya